Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Laity Podcast. This is Andrew, and I'm here with a very special guest live in Mableton, Georgia. And it's not Georgia. <laughs> it's Georgia. That's uh, how they say it in Mableton. That's how they say it in Mableton. Cody Deese is here with us, man, on the podcast. Cody, how's it going, man? Oh, guys, thank you for having me. And uh, super grateful you're here. And we're at, yeah, we're in Mableton off of uh, Veterans Memorial, also known as Bankhead Highway, yes. uh, at my kitchen table, uh, having Moscow mules. Come on now. And Stephen's on the other line with just a three-buck <laughs> chuck in his hand, a $3 wine. And, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, cheers to, cheers to <laughs> Stephen. You know what? I was actually thinking about it. This is the first like in-person interview, like non-over-Skype interview we've done. Oh, really? Which I think adds a level of... A d- of dynamic. That's I didn't that's a that. good thing. Yeah. So yeah. thanks for breaking the ice, and uh, hopefully we don't. You well, know, thanks it up. for uh, making the drive, and uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate what you guys are doing, uh, particularly in Atlanta, in the city. And um, I always tell, I think we're in the heart of the Bible Belt, and to have a podcast like this, I think it's really helpful for people that are evolving, growing, maturing, seeing things outside of the systems in which they were raised, to have a space like this that you guys are pursuing, you know, these ideas, it's letting people know they're not alone. And that's really, really important. So uh, first and foremost, thank you both for uh, sacrificing time and giving up space and uh, helping some folks uh, move forward in their own walk, in their own growth. Uh, it's, that's incredible. So Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank well, you. I wanted to give a, just a little bit of context. So I, so how did Cody and I meet? Um, we, so, so Cody's here, Mableton, it's just outside of, of the perimeter of Atlanta. And, um, I think the connection was I was following, like clinging to Pete Rollins' speaking schedule. Mm-hmm. Like I got to see Pete Rollins somewhere live. And then I saw he's going to be in Mableton, Georgia. <laughs> this was like nine months in advance. Like Pete's speaking at Mableton, Georgia yes. at Vinings Lake Church, which I had never heard of. Right. And um, I, I looked it up and I was like, man, like I got to make it a point to let, I got to I got to get here. Did some of my own research, went on your website. I think I told you this when we, when we first met or when we had our second conversation, um, kind of going through your site. And like it became obvious within minutes just based on the kind of content that you had, the books you were pointing people to, the, the, your sermons. And I was like. There, there's going to be some some connection here. Like this is this is rich stuff. That like this guy's doing this at a on a pastoral level, leading a church and bringing on some really unique speakers and thinkers that have meant a ton to me. Um, so I went and ultimately went and saw Pete's talk at Vinings Lake, which I think was like last fall. Like mm-hmm. it was a little while now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. last November I think or October. Sounds right. Um, and uh, of course, loved seeing Pete. Got to meet him, and he he's he's kind of short. Like he's a short. I guy. didn't know that. I was <laughs> yeah, so like, surprised. <laughs> I have this picture with him and he's just obviously like kind of getting like attacked by a thousand people but i'm yeah. like dude i'm gonna fanboy out and take a picture and please sign my book absolutely and then he was like at my like chest level and i'm like dude it's all good but the picture is like <laughs> i have like it looks a little bit worse like he doesn't it's it's just right steven like it just looks a little off yeah i i think uh, i think his pr guy must work for tom hanks as well because he really does a good job of you know he does. Like, is that he a, makes him look like six right? three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, no, that was you know, and we actually met super super briefly then, and have gotten to spend a little bit more time since then. But in, would love for you to just kind of introduce yourself to our listeners here who aren't going to know Vinings like necessarily don't right. necessarily haven't necessarily heard the name Cody Dees or aren't familiar exactly with what you do. Um, do you mind giving us a little? Yeah, a little absolutely. Uh, so I'm a husband to Katie. 
Uh, we've been married. Actually, May 30th was 15 years. Wow. And I am a part of several things right now. Uh, I've been pastoring uh, this church, Findings Lake Church. It is in Mableton. And we've been there now for, I've been lead pastor for three years. But I helped a friend, a good friend of mine started about 13 years ago. And then he stepped away. And then four years ago, uh, they started asking me to come on. And then three years ago, we kind of gave the official yes and jumped in and uh, started leading that uh, church. And then I also uh, just recently stepped in to an organization called Presence, which I'm, you had uh, Doug King. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've so, had Doug. So people have a, have a short, have a general idea of, of Presence. And, yeah. Uh, we had Doug on for, if you haven't listened to that, check out our episode with, with Doug King. Yeah, you had connected with Doug and yeah, I yeah, you yeah. got pretty so, tied in. Yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, met Doug uh, through just the, actually what you guys talked about, the whole spiral dynamics and um, really, really hit it off with him. Uh, and then he eventually just said, Hey, we want you to come on. And so I stepped in actually as, uh, the president of that organization just recently. So navigating that. Awesome. And then we actually started, um, kind of a spiritual collective, uh, gathering of sorts, uh, in the city, uh, called Atlanta Becoming. And so that actually officially launches in August, but, we started it. We gave a couple of test runs, actually. Uh, Kent Dobson, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with him, but wrote a book called Bitten by a Camel. He came in town, and so we launched, uh, gave a test run with him, but we're going to launch in August. And just got some really cool stuff coming up, man. I'm just grateful to be a part of what's happening here. And we do chuckle about Mableton, but, you know, it's uh, it does feel like a John the Baptist-y type wilderness mm. experience out here. Um, Expound on that. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, when I, I didn't want to be a pastor. Um, my dad was a pastor. Um, my wife's dad was a pastor. And so two pastor kids coming together, we got married. Um, I grew wow. up to, to back it up. I grew up, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. So he was very much so involved in like, uh, the Baptist conventions and things like that, which I don't know how familiar you guys are with that, but, uh, I grew up that way, um, and uh, I got into this thing asking a lot of questions from the beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. So 15, 16 years old, uh, it was very common for us to heal probably what is your audience would know is kind of hellfire and brimstone preaching. I just grew up under that. That was the norm. So Mm -hmm. like a pastor coming in, sharing a story about some teenager who gets in a car wreck, and he dies, and he's burning in hell forever, and you should come forward and recite this prayer. That's, that's my upbringing. Mm. And everything was centered around the afterlife. And everything was hinged on what they called a sinner's prayer. And you had to say these right words, and you had to mean all of them. And that was always really frightening for me as a 15, 16-year-old. And so I started out my journey um, very confused. Uh, I knew what they told me I had to do, and so I did it. But I just didn't feel like I meant it and or... I didn't get what it is they were uh, describing that they had gotten. So I uh, said a prayer once. Uh, another pastor would come in. He would scare the living hell out of every person in that room. I'd come hell. down for it again. I'd say yeah, a prayer literally. again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, literally scare the hell out of you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, terrified. I mean, it's funny. Now I look back, and there's a couple times where I'll chuckle about it, and I'm like, oh, that's funny. But it... <laughs> And all seriousness, like it produced some serious anxiety yeah, in my life yeah. at a very young age. Mm. Um, I would have moments waking up 
and I'm, I don't told a lot of people this, although I have gone through some serious therapy for the record. Sure. Uh, but well, I welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying I to have, find those who haven't. Exactly. <laughs> you know, those are hard uh, to find. Yeah. Christianity's done a lot of damage that way. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I would wake up in the middle of the night, um, terrified with like serious anxiety attacks mm. about, about dying and going to hell. And that was just wow. the world I grew up in. And they were just like, well, look, you can solve that by saying this prayer. So I went through that experience seven times publicly. Uh, wow. I, was bab- I was baptized like eight times. It was just utter humiliation. Like every time a, a, a pastor or a preacher would come through, I'd get frightened and I'd come down. And uh, eventually one of the guys in the church that I grew up in was like, bro, uh, listen, if anyone has it, it's you. Like you've done this thing seven or eight times. It's like, I think seven's a biblical number. Like you're good, man. That's right. That's right. Dude, you're like, yeah, you're stacking the deck. Exactly. So I'm like, I think I got it. And, uh, so I jumped in and actually immediately after that, I started, uh, preaching because I, my dad was everything to me. So I was like, and this is like, to interrupt you, this is at like what age? We're talking high school? Yeah, 16. Okay. 16, yeah. Okay. So you, you started preaching at 16? Yeah, my first sermon, I was 16. And wow. this is where? This is in Florida? This is in Tennessee. This is in Tennessee. Yeah. So born, I was born and raised in right outside of Gainesville, Florida, in Lake City. Yeah. And then we bounced around because dad was a pastor. So it's like we moved around about every four years. So I lived in Alabama, lived in South Georgia, uh, and then Tennessee for a while. Yeah. Mm. Was your experience... So, so for our, a lot of our listeners, some folks, some folks can relate. And then Stephen, I don't know about you. And for me, I don't think it was so much the the fear, of, like a, there was a lot of fear about about hell or or going to hell, as much as. But there was a very strong culture around you needing to make a decision. Which, and by the way, I don't think this is like all a bad thing, but you needing to make a decision for Christ and you needing to commit personally. And there was clearly a very strong culture around when are you going to make this decision? Mm-hmm. Like for, for me, I think that what kind of w- would weigh is this idea of there's a when are you going to kind of step up and, and, and ultimately make this decision for Jesus? And in our kind of background, it was it was like a once you do it once you go through this process, you get baptized like mm. you become a Christian called a day. But I, I can, what I can relate to is an incredibly strong culture where do like either taking your time. And my dad was actually pastor for a time too, while I was younger for about 10 years. And this idea, like there were a lot of expectations and a really strong culture around like what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. What I'm getting to here is do you think your experience did a lot of your peers have a similar experience or do you feel like you're, you in particular is given your wiring given your fact that your dad was the lead guy, like was it unique or was this just kind of the culture and what a lot of even peers and friends of yours went through as a a young person coming out? Yeah. Great question. Uh, none of my friends had that, uh, same experience that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, I felt like from the beginning, I was a bit of an outlier. Like I just felt like I was on Richard Rohr talks about being on the edge of the inside. And I felt mm. like from the beginning I was on mm. the edge of the inside, but I also knew how to play after, after a couple of years, you, you kind of learn how to ride the party line and figure out, okay, this is what gets me the most attention. And I tell people right now, I gave my first sermon at 16. I single-handedly did that. Not because there was some like divine voice speaking through a burning bush uh, n- no, like everyone loved me when I did it. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it's the most narcissistic thing I can tell you. Like everyone loved it and grandmas and grandpas and my mom, my dad had never been more proud. Like, mm. oh my God, my son is following in my footsteps. 
like this is what I'm talking about. And so yeah. I jumped into that and realized this is where I need to be. Like this is a good, sweet spot. Mm. And uh, and as, as, as time progressed, I just learned how to kind of keep my questions uh, buried a bit and uh, just assumed that when I got older, they would go away. That was like and, a maturity thing. And you recognized that there was some of that there even then? Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. At the root of really? it? Really? Yeah. Where do you feel like... I'm curious. Was that coming because of outside influence? You think it was just this genuine internal? Yeah, this wasn't. It wasn't until later that outside influence came into play for me. Uh, the very beginning it was all very internal for me, and just intuitively they would say things, and I would just like I, I haven't had that same experience um, mm. when they would describe uh, their encounters with the divine. I haven't had that experience. And when they would talk about the theological beliefs that you need to line up with, even then at an early age, even though I didn't have uh, the ability nor the drive to, to ask these questions publicly, there were still some things in me. And a point, the, the example of that would even be seven times of coming forward. Eventually, I just gave up. Like, mm. this, this is just a part of it. They're going to be with me, but hopefully as I mature and get older, uh, they'll kind of fade to the background or the back burner, and uh, we'll see what happens. But mm. as time progressed, you know, they didn't. Uh, I mean, one of the big ones for me is, and, and even date, it hasn't been until probably the last year that I've started to reconcile some of this, but, you know, in the church I grew up in, they talk about, like, original sin, and that's big for them. Um, you think about this for a minute. You and I, in that particular context, are told we are a problem to God from our first breath. From the get-go. Yeah, sum up original sin in, in yeah. 15 seconds for yeah, those yeah. who aren't, didn't come from that background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's kind of this doctrine, this belief that, that came along that essentially is summed up in Adam sinned, and that was kind of passed on from generation to generation. Um, and you inherently, by your birth of being born, come out of your mother's womb, and you are in opposition to the divine. Mm, wow. And, you know, we don't think about that much, but to, to tell a small child, mm. oh, actually, uh, God opposes you, um, that was a big deal. And it's a big deal to me now, but even then, <laughs> I had questions about it. Um, even then I was like, man, something, something's just not, something's just not right. And what I've learned along the way is, uh, the reality that what is deepest in us being our essence or our soul or our true self, however you want to call it, uh, is not opposed to God. Uh, it's actually, it's actually the image of God. Um, Genesis three talks about mm. that, right? Or Genesis one talks about that. You and I, Genesis one and two, you and I are made in the image of God and, I'm learning that maybe our essence, our true essence, our true self, uh, maybe it's not opposed to the divine. Mm. Maybe it's actually made of the divine. And there's a lot to say about that. But, yeah, as time progressed for me, um, I went off to college. Yeah. I went to uh, uh, Liberty University. So you were thinking, and your mind at this point, you're going, this is my, this is my path. I'm going to be yes. a church leader, pastor, preacher, yeah, probably, and people kind of were affirming that along the way, or what? absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think I was ever going to be a pastor, but um, they had uh, kind of trained me to be uh, in that world. It's called an evangelist. Yeah, and oh, yeah. Um, so it's like it's like term. traveling and speaking and uh, doing almost like if your audience is remotely familiar with like Billy Graham, like he was kind of the guy. 
uh, in the Baptist world. And so they, they were grooming me to be kind of the next the traveling, guy. preaching, revival type, yes. bring people forward. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's, uh, I, I was being groomed from my father. I was also being groomed from some Southern Baptist convention leaders. And, um, yeah, they had a lot invested in me and, uh, went to a small Bible college in North Carolina, finished that, jumped over to Liberty, finished that, and then launched out into starting my own nonprofit, and I started this whole evangelistic thing where I would just travel around, and I did that. Actually, did that for almost fifteen years. Wow. Um, so, what, and, what was the nonprofit? How does that? How does the nonprofit tie into? Like, what did this look like functionally in terms of preaching and being on the road? And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it wasn't a church, but it was a religious nonprofit. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, so it was a nonprofit uh, that we'd established just for folks that were able to contribute to what we were doing. And so uh, the main drive for us, it was called Lead Next. So the main drive for us was we were uh, kind of doing these evangelistic gatherings with students. That was kind of our target. So I would go in and very quickly, uh, the the platform just started growing and growing and growing and growing. And uh, I would do these summer camps. And then the next thing I know, my summers weren't just camps. They were like these these conferences with four or 5,000 students. And um, I, I pretty quickly realized how to how to give them what they wanted. And by them, I mean, there was a whole system of people that were in charge of these events. And, um, and that was actually where things began to really shift for me. Mm. Um, that was where the wheels started coming off a little bit. And, uh, I had met my wife along the way as well. And she and I both began to see things. That's where it started. Um, that reminded me a little bit of my upbringing and the seven times that I had publicly humiliated myself all for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I began to see that same experience happening in students at the very events that I was speaking at. So you're watching people, like you're watching kind of mirror image of you, like mm-hmm. you're coming, fo- there people are responding to a mes- message, maybe feeling guilt-ridden, feeling some sort of anxiety, and maybe mm-hmm. they've done this before, but they're coming forward, they're praying the prayer, they're accepting Christ, they're part of the number of folks that come forward. And you're kind of you're watching yourself in a youth youthful younger person play out, and presumably they've done it before, they've done it a few times, and so is it that seeing that in the flesh was kind of a new reality of like wow, like I just don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, was that it, was what, a, that was a big wake up. There, were, and again, this was over a, a, a season of time, but there was one specific event that I did where there was a communicator before me, and he spoke and, and just did the regular, which I, I could just tell you what it is. He just stood up, and he shared a scary story, and all these kids came forward, and I actually saw the trauma in their eyes of just being terrified, and, and, then, and then the event host calling it conviction or whatever, mm-hmm. and they, I realized in that moment, oh, dear God, uh, these students are going to spend massive amounts of money in counseling down the road because <laughs> of what we're doing in the name of our God. And I realized I was a, there was a moment where I sat on the side of a stage and I thought, oh my God, I am a part of a problem, uh, not a solution here. And that's where my wife and I both just said, I can't. I can't do this anymore. Did and you then, then have to get up and go on stage and deliver your talk after after realizing that? I, I did, yeah. Uh, wow. And actually, 
um, that that was the beginning of the downhill for us. Uh, and and people even use the language slippery slope or whatever. Um, but it, but it, that's the thing. It didn't. It all started internally. And then when I began to see these things, uh, it was like the connections were being made. And so yeah, I got up on the stage um, and I spoke. And I remember thinking, I'm going to try to gradually ease these questions that I have in. Um, Mm. And uh, so even that particular occasion, I got up and I just started being a little bit more true to some of the questions that were in me, Mm. just to see uh, if there was any space for that in this particular system. And as you can imagine, I learned very quickly, uh, there's not a lot of space Mm. for that there. And Mm. uh, as time progressed, I started getting a little more loose like oh, I yeah, think give I'll, us an example. Yeah, I was like, I, well, I think I'll, I think I'll reference this. I think I'll, I think I'll say uh, a story or a statement about my own personal upbringing, and right. and there was one particular talk that I gave on manipulation, and I just realized pretty quickly, oh my god, uh, we are we are using like scare tactics, manipulating kids. Uh, because there's this whole system that is in place. And the reason I know about this system is because I was fully a part of it, and they pay really well to right. just operate within the system. Right. And the system gatekeepers are like, literally, I would have people come up to me and say, hey, we need 250 people to come forward tonight. Mm. Wow, uh, really? Can, can you make that happen? Why? Yeah. How do they calculate that? Like, you know what? They would, the they, would, they would do it with generic statements like, we just believe that this is the number God's placed on our yes. heart. And we're just believing God's going to bring 250. But I also knew that was a little wink and a head nod, like, you bring 250 because that's kind of how your job works. And mm. huh. uh, That's your sales quota. Exactly. And did that yes. literally, did that result, what does that ultimately achieve for for the powers that be, is it literally dollars because of this nonprofit thing? Or is it just this sense of like, we know this affirmation that God is with us. God is doing a thing. This is right. And my, my, well, answer that first. Then I have a a follow-up question. Settle down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited. Uh, Answer that first. Yes. Um, Actually, I I would answer that question and say both. Mm -hmm. Um, I absolutely believe at the heart of most systems is the almighty dollar. Yes. And then I would say second to that, um, that's how they interpreted whether or not God's, quote, hand was on was their there. ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's your yeah. metric. Yeah, totally. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That was, that was, and yeah, that was single-handedly the success of their... They would, and they would, use, they would use phrases like, well, if one person comes forward, it'll be well worth it, right? Which was all bullshit. Except not really. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, they don't... No, they don't want one person. They want, like, they, they need... We know exactly how many we need. Right. In order for the convention to hear, it's got to be, like, this many. Now, I preface all that to say this, too. I went through a season <laughs> where I was extremely angry. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's a lot of folks that are like, man, you really came down on your upbringing. Um, and I'll be the first to admit that. Absolutely. In my process of evolving along the way, um, generally you move to new stages of consciousness in the previous stage you resist. And you know you're maturing and evolving and growing when you begin to stop resisting your upbringing. And I realized over time that as difficult as some of that was, uh, I also am fully aware that I would not be here 
um, if it wasn't for that particular upbringing. Right. And so, and that's what, you know, when Doug was on the podcast, he talks about, uh, you know, an integral consciousness. Well, that's, you're integrating all the previous levels, all the previous stages of consciousness. And a part of that is this whole idea that maybe if you guys, if your audience familiar with Richard Rohr, he talks a lot about transcend and include. Right. And that's what it is. Now, for me, I spent a, a good portion of my life transcending and excluding um, or uh, transcending and uh, repressing or transcending and ridiculing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And even as I began to evolve and grow, I went through this whole phase of, oh, well, now I'm progressive. You're not. I get it. You don't. I'm mm-hmm. enlightened. You're not. And little little yeah. dualism, yeah. Yeah, and and I and I ended up not really changing much of uh, much of myself. Didn't change at all. It was kind of like it's almost like I became. I grew up fundamentalist on one side, and then the pendulum just swung all the way over to the other. Yeah, and yeah, you uh, changed jerseys exactly. Changed yes. jerseys, same game. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's like I same I game. didn't change. I changed what I believed, but I did not change how I believed it. And I think belief, uh, how you hold your beliefs matter greatly. Mm, and yeah. when you start walking through some serious deconstruction, it loosens that up a little bit. Right. And you start holding it. Because the things I would have staked my life on, you know, 10 years ago, um, I wouldn't stake my life on them anymore. And so because of that, you start holding all these things real loose. Mm. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to back, go back, yep. and I want to. I feel like a lot of this, which is incredibly rich and helpful, will pl- will come right back around to continue, kind of in the the transition. So the wheels start coming off for mm-hmm. you. Um, you start. And yeah, that's so, your livelihood. Like, well, I, I want to know what happened. Like, you're. It, you're How'd you exactly. pay the bills at that point? What happened? It, those aren't just like your friends. That's your paycheck. That's your reputation. That's what you, fifteen years of time in the role. So. Okay, you then begin, if I remember the story correctly, you then begin to, I'm sure, talk about this with your inner circle, actually let some of these things out even for yourself. But then do you then be able to kind of, do you then lead, do you then start to sort of bring these questions up to, to, to those who are there? And what, what was the result of that? Yeah. Uh, well, a couple of thoughts. Um, I, I, I was very optimistic and I thought I could be the exception to the rule. And I kept having mm. some friends around me being like, dude, uh, listen, uh, this isn't gonna. This isn't gonna work out well. Um, like right. you are at some point are going to have to decide. And they were right, by the way. Uh, it did eventually get to that, but it took a little bit longer. And a part of that was my own process of evolution. Um, growth is incredibly slow, and it was slow in my own life. So step one was like entering into a season of questioning and just being honest with that. And then step two was being a bit transparent with my own internal universe and what was transpiring with that. And as I did that, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that privately because my job was to be on a stage. And so you're kind of deconstructing publicly. And to make matters worse, you're deconstructing publicly in front of high school students, right. which is like, man, uh, that's, that's a combo that's pretty, pretty deadly. And so I worked really hard to walk a line for a season until it got to the point where uh, my wife, Katie, uh, we were doing an event and she was just like, you can't, you can't get up there. And she would say, she would use this language. She would say, you're flipping the light switch on. 
Like you know exactly what to say, when to mm. say it, but it's all BS and you know it's not real for you. And wow. and then she would say and then she would say things like, and you're dying up there. Wow. Like internally she could wow. see through that and she would say, You're dying. And I knew it was true, but I'm also I'm like, hey, don't say that because this is how we make our living. Uh and we have a house and we have a mortgage and we have to have food on the table. Mm. And um and so we had to start making some decisions. And then in the midst of that, I did start being open and honest with just a couple of friends that were around me. And somewhere along the way, they started passing me some things uh, to where I began to realize that, oh, my God, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. There's actually a whole world. The very first book someone That's ever handed me yeah, first uh, was a book by Brian McLaren, who we've since met. He came to our church, Vinings Lake, and just a great guy. It was so cool to be able to look him in the eye and be like, bro, yeah. you completely, you just effed my whole life up. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined everything for yes. me, but so, in the best way. In the best way. Uh, but he wrote a book. He and Tony Campala wrote a book called Adventures in Missing the Point. And <laughs> I remember That's grabbing awesome. hold of that book, and I swear, guys, the very, like, I think it's chapter one, uh, the header was salvation, and the opening line was like, "Let's start here. The <laughs> sinner's prayer is not even in your Bible." And I remember as a kid who's experienced this, going, "Holy shit, this is amazing! Like, I can't believe that." And that just opened an entire the floodgates. Like the floodgates happen that there is an entire world of people that have been asking these questions long before I arrived. Mm. And you know that moment where you realize you're not alone, but there's a whole bunch of people out there like that, it creates so much boldness that I realized... Right, you're invigorated. Oh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this. Like, let's do this. And then Katie, my wife, got... She, she got it. She saw... We started tasting some of these things. Yeah. As my friend Rob says, once you taste, you can't untaste it. And once you see, you can't unsee it. And once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And all that started happening. And then it was like, here we go. And... We knew that uh, as we were growing and becoming more and more and more alive, our work, our ministry, my traveling, my speaking, started getting less and less and less right. and less. So it's almost like it came to this decision. All right, which one is it? Do you feel like there was a, I cut you off, but do you feel like there was a freedom to that process, and I'm kind of speaking my life into yours a little bit, like thinking about my own journey, and maybe I'll just do what I do, which is answer my own thought. <laughs> Not really, but seriously, like when I think about my own journey, there's this, you have the, the, the early, I call them breaches, the sort of breaches in the in the wall, in the levee, there's something starting, to, but it's, it's this great thing, there's this light shining through, and while simultaneously my world is kind of burning down or crumbling or, sh or shifting, mm -hmm. there's almost this loosening as well and this sense of freedom, not only because there maybe is a community here or the questions I have have been asked before, in fact, for millennia, and there are people that have been thinking about this, praying about this, writing about, like, there's some stuff out there which then allowed me, gave me some space to be free and actually made me feel like, the, the, in a sense, like, the chains were loosening a little. Chains is a little dramatic, but there was a something was lifted up. There was a burden off my off my back and shoulders, and I could breathe easier. There wasn't all of a sudden the fear of asking the wrong question all of a sudden, or a mm -hmm. fear that I'm going to lose everyone and everything. But at the same time, and again, thinking about your life, you're actually kind of watching 
your vocation and what you've been up to like actually maybe crumbles extreme, but kind of start to break down a little bit. Was that at all an experience for you? Did you feel a sort of lightness as things around you are sort of shifting or was it a, did it begin to be kind of more of a dark descent? Yeah, no, for me, it, it felt like a death. Yeah, it, it really felt like a death mm. uh, on a lot of levels um, because I was also, even though I had a sense of freedom of, oh my God, I'm not alone so I can ask these questions, I was also spiraling a bit out of control. So it was like I, everything I had been handed as a child, I began to question. Mm. And um, the things that were, I was like, okay, well, I'll question this, but this is off limits. Over time, I was like, okay, now I'm starting to question that. Right. It's like, well, well, this is, and it's like McLaren talks about uh, peeling an onion, and it's one layer after another layer after another layer, and that's, that's, it's, that's it. Uh, That was my experience. And uh, realizing that I also wasn't in this by myself, that I had a wife, and we had to make these decisions together, and so we were pretty, pretty quickly confronted with, um, well, uh, what's it going to be, the job um, or your soul? That was basically it. I mean, I even think about that line. Jesus gives that line, will it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Yeah. Uh, I, that line, that line ring, rings true for me. Wow. Um, it's like, like what, what is it for you? Because you're going to have to choose here. It's either you keep your job or you keep your soul. And, uh, and we, we fortunately in that season decided to, to keep our soul. And, uh, and that was... And by that, how that translated out for us is I just was like, I'm just going to start being honest about where I'm at. And whatever happens to these events happens to these, whatever happens to our livelihood happens. And, um, and we, in a lot of ways, uh, signed up for it, but we also didn't know what that fully entailed. And I'm glad we didn't because had we known, uh, we probably would have, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Um, we probably would have taken things a little bit slower. Uh, I tend to be a pretty fast paced guy. And once I kind of flipped the switch and I was like, I'm keeping my soul, I'm in, I hit the gas pretty hard. <laughs> and, uh, and so I remember there was one incident, I think you guys get a kick out of this, that I remember um, giving a talk at, uh, it was like a mega church. It was like their camp or whatever. And I gave a talk and it was, it was, uh, I knew before I gave the talk, I was like, oh yeah, this is, some this one might do it. And, uh, and what was interesting <laughs> is, is I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I gave, the talk and in the talk I quoted, uh, which we'll get to in a minute, but I quoted one of uh, one of the guys who had, I'd really admired, and he's kind of pouring into me. And uh, he was a controversial author at the time, and I quoted him, and it has his name who on the it, screen. Who was the author? Uh, Rob Bell. Ro- okay, yeah. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of him. Yeah. Uh, is, is, it, is this in the middle of the of the Love Wins debacle? It was right in the heart of it. Yes. Oh right. yeah, yeah. You you hosed yourself, man. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, which is a long story about Rob. We can talk about some other time. But I, <laughs> I gave, I, I quoted him, and I, got, I left the stage, and I got to the side of the stage, and they were like, "You will never speak at this event again." And I was like, wow. "Why?" And they were like, "You're done. Like, like in this system, it's over. You're done." And, wow. And I was Good like, "Why?" Night. And they were like, "Because of the guy you quoted." And I, I come to find out that. Uh, the event coordinator uh, had just given a whole series on how Rob was a heretic and his <laughs> kids should stay away. And I was up contradicting I was up the whole quoting thing. him. And uh, 
It was oh, interesting. They should now, have told you. I actually... No, actually, you knew. You knew. I, I did, and I did something, um, not to be manipulative, but I needed to know. I needed to know myself. So I took that same quote, and I traveled around a little bit more with it, and I used it, and I put it up on the screen, but I switched the name out. Because wow. um, I just... I needed to see, and I know that's very manipulative. I get it. Um, but I needed to see. And... I kid you not, these folks would come up going, good Lord, that quote is so powerful. Uh, really? I never realized I never realized that that Baptist leader said that because I was like attaching name. You know what I mean? No and, way. And then you throw a like J.I. Packer on it and you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. so a, I think a safe ground is like C.S. Lewis said it. Yeah, actually, C.S. Lewis, you can never go wrong. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's awesome. But it. And I, Do you remember the just, quote, by the way? It, I had no idea what it was. Uh, but it just told me a lot. Like, oh, I see how this works. Wow. I see how this works. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So they lay it out. And Stephen, feel free to chime in, because I think you almost asked the question once or twice. So if you, I know you're on Skype or on the other side, so feel free to raise your hand. But um, so there's so much here. So So they say, you're never doing this again. You know, at this point, you kind of know... You know that this ship is this ship is sailed. That's really interesting. That's a whole nother podcast we could do, even about when you talked about Rob and the quote. There are certain boundaries, right? There, there are certain boundaries. There are yep. certain in this way of thinking. There's just uh, in the first tier, right? To be spiral about it. Um, well done, Doug. There, would be yeah, proud. yeah, clearly, Doug would be. That shout out to Doug. There, there are the limitation is that there are particular boundaries, names, associations, things like I think we even talked about this historically, like in your background, and I can relate on certain levels. You just don't necessarily venture outside of particular authors, particular speakers, particular mm-hmm. denominations, particular like you just don't go there. Mm-hmm. Um, be, and um, the kind of boundary driven, in and out lines drawn as you're going through this deconstruction, all of a sudden those lines blur mm-hmm. or they're gone, mm-hmm. or you recognize someone on the other side of the fence yep. that is all of a sudden speaking to you in a way that didn't make sense before. And in my experience, it was, wait a minute, I thought those people were categorically non-Christian, right? But they're, but they're like speaking to my life. And wait, we sing songs in church on Sunday by people who we believe are a part of churches that are categorically non-Christian. Like all of a sudden these lines blur and you realize, wow, there's like a, there, there's a lot here. So for you personally, you know, you, you then clearly the vocation started shifting. I'm kind of getting back to the story in the midst of all of this kind of did you start to see kind of the other side of what, what this was going to look like or, uh, and, and clearly it sounds like you also through this process, were starting to move from I've now maybe, and I don't want to speak for you. Maybe I, I've kind of figured this out and these people don't get it or I'm in, they're out kind of this dualistic mind to something that was a bit more inclusive. How, how did this all kind of all, all of that move into kind of what happened next post, uh, post speaking circuit? Yeah, we, uh, <clears throat> along the way, I had uh, encountered some folks that were also out uh, speaking with me and maybe and or leading worship at some of the events I was doing. And then we'd get behind the stage and I'd start sharing some of these ideas and they would all start huddling around going, oh my God, I, I feel the same way. Mm. And uh, mm. And that momentum kind of started really moving us forward a little bit. And I also had a few friends around me that were like, look, if you're getting booted out of a system because of your evolving 
beliefs. You, you see things a little different now, um, which that's how it works. Uh, everything that is alive is growing, changing, evolving. Everything. If it's if it's not growing, changing, evolving, then it's dead. And so yeah. I don't see the I don't see the way I saw fifteen years ago. I don't see the way I saw three years ago. Right. Uh, my view of the divine now is totally different than five years ago. And um, by the time you finish with us, you won't see the way you saw an hour ago. Exactly. Well, that's the <laughs> yeah. thing. That's how powerful this podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> I actually tell people, uh, whatever it is I say, I reserve the right to shift that within an hour because it's <laughs> like I'm constantly uh, changing and uh, and seeing things different. And that's the beauty of it. That's that's how it works. But mm. yeah, so we had a few friends around us that were also kind of engaging some of the conversations. And I ran across a friend who said, hey, uh, have you ever met, um, you know, my brother? And his name is Rob. And I was like, who's Rob? And at the time, I didn't know who that was. And his name was John. And he had a brother named Rob Bell. And I was like, no, 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 I've never heard of him. And he was like, listen to this. And so I started listening to some of his sermons. And um, that really, uh, just clicked. Like I was like, okay, okay, now we're cooking. And that's when I kind of got in some trouble with the quote and everything. And that's when I started really stepping into, um, this whole other world that started becoming available to me. Hmm. And I began to kind of pursue some of those folks and just tell them where I'm at. And along the way, some of those guys, uh, many of those guys were very generous to us and just kind of were like, Hey, uh, yeah, you're not alone. There's a whole group of people out there just like that. And that created a little more boldness. And then so as the events were coming to an end, uh, my wife and I both knew that. Um, we had helped one of my good friends start a church uh, here uh, in Mableton area. And he was fantastic. Uh, he kind of helped navigate me through uh, the years as well. And I would teach here periodically. And so as my events were coming to an end, he was giving me more and more opportunity to speak here. Mm. And that was helping financially a lot. Cool. And so we kind of saw a transition uh, going on, and then out of the blue, he was like, "I'm I uh, I feel like I need to need to leave here." And so he left, uh, moved to Nashville, and this church that we were kind of helping him with uh, reached out to us and just said, "Hey, would you consider being our pastor?" And wow. uh, I just I honestly the first time I think they asked, I, I believe I laughed like I was just like, "Wow." Um, my uh, my wife. And I both grew up pastor's kids, and she was just like, God, I don't, I do not want to be a pastor's wife. Like, I can almost handle being like a speaker's <laughs> wife, but I don't want to be a pastor's wife. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not in a place to be a pastor. Yeah, like, where were you at that point? This yeah. is what, three years ago, four years ago? This is yeah, semi recent. Yeah, this is about four or five years so ago. So you yeah. think, I mean, the idea of then stepping into a lead role at a church, like, this is not a, this is a church, right? Like yeah. a pastor of a no, church. Yeah. How many members? How, how, how big a church was this? Uh, uh, when I, let's see, it's fluctuated so much, but when I started uh, three years ago, um, I think we were about five, 600 people, somewhere around in that neighborhood. Yeah. When I started. So and five, 600 people, they're about to, ha- they want to hand you the reins, yeah. the deconstruction guy to, yeah, to yeah, yeah. all this. Yeah. So I actually reached out to Rob in the process and um, we, he was like, Hey, come out here. So we flew out to uh, LA, met him. Oh, by the way, at the same time, there's a guy by the name of Richard Rohr out there, which I'd never heard of before. <laughs> <laughs> and Richard Rohr, uh, this guy. Man. Oh, so he was there with Rob. He was there with Rob at and this Rob conference. And Rob told you that, hey, you should yes. come out. And Got so it. I ended up um, going to this event, and I walked into the room, and there's probably 130 or so other leaders and pastors in there, and 
just Rob was very gracious and generous, and uh, I had a good conversation with him about, you know, we've been presented this job offer, and this is what I've been doing the last 15 years of my life, and I'm right in the heart of some serious deconstruction, and I don't really know uh, what much of anything I grab hold of anymore um, on a lot of levels. Um, and, you know, he really helped navigate and guide us through that process. Uh, I remember him telling me, well, you know, a pastor is whatever it is you want to make it. So I don't know what you grew up and what you saw, hmm. um, but you don't, you don't have to fit into a pattern. Like you can, you can make it whatever it is you want to make it. And then he really challenged me on a couple of areas. One area was, you know, he would say to me, you can gripe and complain and spend all of your energy trying to burn down the system that you grew up in, or you could actually take this church and dare and lead it uh, to what it is you dream that it could actually be. And, and that's when he introduced me to this idea of reconstructing things. Mm. Um, I think reconstruction is such a buzzword for all of us right now, and particularly in our generation, and it's necessary. Uh, I think one of my fears is, you know, it's, it's fun to kind of take things apart. And, and, uh, but the real heroes to me, the brave ones, uh, the ones that I'm interested in having conversation is, okay, uh, what are we, what are we reconstructing? What is it that we're actually putting together? And that's where I begin to realize, okay, this may work. So that was the shift. Yeah. That was a shift for you. That was a moment of, okay, moving for this thing, this job, this opportunity might actually be a platform, even just for myself, my marriage, my life, my circle to, to build, yep. to kind of re, to reconstruct. Yes. Did, did Vinings Lake know? Like, did they know that where, sort of where you were at and, and in, in the middle of all that? Uh, yeah, to some degree. I didn't really know where I was at in a lot of, in a, in a, you know, I, I, I didn't. I mean, uh, Pete Rollins always talks about, I don't, I, most times I don't know what I believe. Um, and I, it's just true. It's just true for me. And on a lot of levels, it's still true for me. And I'm not ashamed of that. That's just the reality. I am a, I'm, I am a very conflicted person internally. Like that's just the way it is. And, um, I'm a little bit fearful of anyone who's like got this whole thing polished and it's like, I kind of dissected God, got him placed in a jar. He's sitting (laughs) on my counter and I've got all the compartments (laughs) figured out and I know, you know, uh, what is it you want to talk about? We got it figured out. Eschatology done. Right. Like uh, afterlife (laughs) done. I can tell you anything you want to know about that. Like, I don't know. (laughs) All that seems just so bogus to me. I'm like, come on guys. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but they, they, and that's the thing about this, this group of people, Vinings Lake, uh, we had been there, we'd helped them start at 13 years ago. So we'd built relationships with these people, uh, for the, you know, 10 years at that point. Right. Um, so it's almost like they didn't care. They're like, we know you two and we love you two. And so, mm. uh, have at it. And I remember, um, when we were out with Rob, he did a Eucharist on one of those nights. And he made a statement. He broke the bread. He dipped it in the wine and made a statement. He said, uh, his body was broken for you. Uh, his blood was poured out for you. And he said, Jesus broke himself open and he poured himself out for the healing of the world. And he said, as you partake in this, the proper response is for you to walk out the door and break yourself open and pour yourself out. And my wife and I, my wife, she was there. She could tell you, I, I just wept. Because I remember that being the time that we were going to, we were going to take the job. We kind of made our decision that week. And then we also knew there was going to be a real high cost to taking that job and staying true to our soul. Hmm. And it was as if when, when Rob said that I knew, oh, our bodies are about to be broken. Our blood's about to be poured out for the healing of Mableton in Atlanta in the world. And 
I just intuitively knew this next three, however many years. At that time, I didn't know how many years. It was like this next year. Right. Uh, this is going to be a very difficult journey. But I also was a bit optimistic thinking if it can happen anywhere, it's mm. this group of people. Because I'm telling you, I know like all pastors say this, but it is a very diverse uh, crowd and they come from all walks of life. And I know we're in the Bible Belt. Uh, we're in the heart of the beast. And I had good people around me be like, dude, uh, your ideas and some of the things that you're talking about, it's never going to work in, in the South. It's just not going to work. Mm. And I was just like, well, there's only one way to find out. And that was the thing that Rob helped me with, too. He's like, well, just try it. Right. He's always he's always, he's so totally, light. He's totally, so light. He's like, yeah. just try it. He's like, if you don't like it, go work at Starbucks. I'm like, easy for you to say. You know what I mean? Right. Like million copy <laughs> author guy. Although he's been through the fire more than and just has, as much yeah. as anyone you'll ever meet. And so, uh, but it, but it did create a uh, just a likeness about it. And I was like, all right, if it if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And so, we said yes. Actually, uh, your viewers can't see this, but uh, Andrew can. That sign on that wall right there, Driftwood yeah. Kitchen. Uh, that's where it happened. Um, there's a sign on our wall because my wife gave me a Christmas gift uh, with the exact sign from uh, the little bar across the street uh, in Laguna Beach uh, where we made where we made the decision so every day I get up and I start looking at my notes on Sundays and I sit in this chair and I look at that sign Uh, it's just kind of that that reminder uh, yep you're going to break yourself open you're going to pour yourself out and that's how it works it's so interesting to me that I think for many that maybe are sitting and, and let's speak particularly to those who are not in like leadership roles, but those who are in the pews who, you know, c- grew up in a certain context who have been in church or maybe doing some of their own unraveling, but also, you know, and we've had even listeners kind of, kind of talk to us that we, we didn't know before the podcast saying, Hey, like, I'm not just interested in throwing this all away and running away. Like I actually want to, I, I want to get tied in with additional, like with the relationships. I want to go deeper. I want to get, I want more. It's interesting that this process for you didn't have you running away from church that, that, and by running, you have, I'm sure there was an element of like, I want to kind of walk away from what I've always known and maybe just rethink, but it wasn't, I'm out of here never again. I mean, they asked you to like be a leader of a pastor of this church and for you, and granted, through prayer, I'm sure, through counsel, through this whole process, and you had a community that could kind of that would welcome you and take you. But you also believe, and just because I know you at this point on some level, that that you actually believe that the church can be a space for these conversations. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't actually necessarily have to happen on the outside of these walls. These walls meaning the church. Like it's not, hey, like let's get out and, and maybe you need to take a break. And granted. People should take breaks when they need to take a break. But I'm not advocating people should never leave. But th- this idea that actually within the community, there can be particular conversations. There can be authenticity. You can actually come out and, and, and be open about this. And I have no idea how you do it as like a lead dude. I'm sure plenty of people have kind of walked away <laughs> over the years. But but because it's just like your friend said, this might not work here. Um that's interesting. Can you talk a little bit about that? The church as a space yeah. for the conversation, you know, and, and, um, 
I think it's just, I, I'd love you to speak on that. And I'd love for you to speak maybe a little bit, give us a little taste of kind of then what some of your initiatives have been, even over the last couple of years in bringing on some speakers and bringing on some additional thoughts. And then I think Stephen has one or two questions as well, but maybe we could start that way. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had to try it. I, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know if it could work because I had some really wise people around me that um, uh, had tried it and it didn't work out so well for them. Um, we had some people around me that uh, had given this uh, authenticity, transparency, um, these ideas that we were all wrestling with. Uh, they tried to take it in the context of a system or some sort of a church uh, some sort of a form like that, and, and it just didn't pan out for them. But uh, I was just like, if it could happen, it would be this group of people. And I know we're in the South, but to me, I treated that like this is the very place that it needs to happen. Mm. Um, we're in the heart of the Bible Belt. Uh, this is like a... And some of my friends would be like, bro, you're in the mission field. Like, like if anyone needs this type of teaching, like it's it's Christians. And... I'm like, all right. I'm like, all right, uh, let's try it. Let's do it. And there's like a board, like I had a board, like an elder board, and they were, they're, they're as crazy as I am. Like, I love these guys, but they're (laughs) like, uh, yep, let's do it. Let's try it. And none of us knew what that meant. Right. None of us knew what that meant. And now, three years later, I'm like, I don't know. Half of them probably wouldn't have signed up for this because now, you know, we see things now completely different in hindsight. But at the time, we were all like, yeah, let's do it. And so we, we jumped in. And everything was great. Like the first Sunday, uh, people uh, that hadn't been there in a long time came back. And there was like, you know, the place was packed and it felt great. And my wife and I, we just served a communion to them. Uh, so we just broke bread and dipped it. I was like, that's just the way we're going to start. And then... It's like, it's like I'm 16 again. Exactly. <laughs> Dude, my first <laughs> sermon. <laughs> uh, six months, six months after taking the job... Uh, that's where the we had like our first small exodus of folks that kind of were like, wait a minute, huh. um, I don't know what this, I don't know about what this guy's saying. And so, uh, interestingly enough, I actually uh, one of the, one of the things that caused it, I did a series called Evolve, and the premise of it was just never stop growing, um, which is a pretty basic concept. But I got into uh, some ideas in the text about um, the evolution of human consciousness. And I talked about uh, there's different things in the text, you know, from Gentile inclusion uh, to uh, the earth at the center of the universe to my goodness, slavery, civil rights, on and on the list goes uh, God, genocide, et cetera, et cetera. And we just talked about how you see throughout the biblical narrative that these ideas evolve as the narrative moves forward. And we talked a little bit about that, and then I had gone out, I flew out, and I had filmed a session with, with Rob, and he uh, did a whole thing on Acts and Peter and the vision he has, um, and it was a, love that passage uh, that talks about this dream that Peter has, and, and then this Roman uh, centurion shows up at his door and it's basically that whole idea, like what God is called clean, don't call unclean. Right. And so uh, we did a video with him, and then there was like there's like a handful of people that were like, "Oh, we think we've heard. Oh, that's that controversial guy. You're friends with him, like, <laughs> or you did a video. He's we're out of here." And that's when I was like, "Okay, uh, let's let's uh, 
well, let's see what happens here. Mm-hmm. And so that that was like the very first time uh, a group of people that we deeply loved, by the way. Um, and then I think deeply loved us. It was just the stage of consciousness, the stage that which they were at. And they were like, we can't do this because this is what we've heard. Uh, mind you, most most folks have never actually read the content themselves. Sure. It's just stuff they hear. And so they slip away. And I could go through a list of things. There were like four kind of pivotal moments. Um, and just so we're clear, I could do a conference right now on how to shrink a church. Um, <laughs> because, uh, drum roll please, I took it like from five, 600 to, uh, I think we're like a little less than 200 now. Um, and so uh, the verdict is still out, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. it's working. We'll follow up in six months. <laughs> and so, so for our for our, our listeners that are interested in a you know two hundred percent reduction in contribution and giving, uh, yes. What are the what are, what the, are the key secrets? things? How do you make that happen? Yeah, man. Well, uh, <laughs> you uh, okay? You do four things. Like, here's, here's a four-step way to shrink your church. Uh, step one, start having LGBTQ people show up at your church, roll into some serious discussion about it, mm. biblically through the text, come to the realization that you've been interpreting that wrong, and go public with a story uh, of two people named Patrick and Joel who had been a part of a local church in Atlanta because it was a welcoming church, but then when they got in and said that they wanted to serve and be greeters, they were told they couldn't because of their sexuality. And Mm. they show up at our church, and he said, first things first, before we get involved, because we have a son, uh, we need to have coffee with the pastor. And they're like, you said you're welcoming, uh, but can we serve? And that created a serious internal dialogue, and Mm. we realized, yeah. Um, Because here's the thing, a lot of churches are like, uh, if you're gay, you you can give, like we'll take your money, but but you can't do ministry here, uh, which is the definition of hypocrisy, by the way. Um, and so for, for us, we were like, hmm. let's just step into it. So I'm giving the four-step plan. Uh, so we went public, but we did it through the context of a story because I think putting flesh and blown on that stuff really matters. Hmm. And uh, your listeners can watch that video. It's floating around out there. But these guys, Patrick and Joel, just a beautiful couple, beautiful story. Our people embraced it, loved it. So we became what we're called, what we called fully inclusive and uh, LGBTQ affirming, and we're unequivocally affirming, and we're a church in the South. So uh, that's step one. And like a wave of people were like, God, oh, it's just it's just a boundary too far. And mm-hmm. um, and look, I get that. Uh, we had we had some serious internal dialogue with our own staff, and we had some staff that were like, God, this is too much for me. And I get it. I I, I totally get it. Um, I had just gotten to a place in a lot in some of our team, most of our team had gotten to a place where we're like, man, um, holding on to these views that we had is actually incredibly damaging, uh, to our LGBTQ brothers. And, uh, so, uh, that was one thing. And then the second thing, um, that we jumped into actually had, uh, I was in a series called free at last and we were talking about Solomon and we were talking about, uh, the myth of redemptive violence. And in First Kings, Solomon, uh, you know, he has this whole thing as he's leading Israel that he starts stacking up all these chariots and horses, which are kind of like the fighter tanks and all that kind of stuff in there. And so I did this whole series on that, and I talked about the myth of redemptive violence. And 
uh, we decided at the end of the series, we were trying to get really creative because we had like a great team of creative people. And so we were like, oh, we should uh, we should do the thing where they turn guns into garden tools. And we're like, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> Coincidentally enough, we'd had some property around us and we had some people at that same time say we want to start a community garden. And they had that property because they were going to build like a larger building. And then when I came in and they were like, yeah, we're going to build a larger building. And then over time, I was like, bro, <laughs> we're going to need a larger building to put our 200 people in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, I don't think it's going to be necessary, You've heard guys. of building bigger barns? Yeah, that's not the story. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, yeah, let's, let's put a garden out there. Uh, so instead of building buildings, we put a garden, which, by the way, uh, to the folks that out there that are doing our garden, um, the people that are running that, my God, it's amazing what awesome. honestly like like some some ridiculous six seven hundred pounds of food they gave away last season or something. It's wow. something ridiculous. Wow, so, wow. Uh, which, by the way, uh, a garden in itself is incredibly subversive. Uh, you talk about Jesus and the daily bread. Um, to not be hinged on the empire for your bread, but to grow it yourself. That's a whole nother Come like on, sermon. You know what I mean? Part two podcast. Exactly. Um, but. So we thought, well, this would be really good timing because we're going to launch this garden. It's got all this stuff's going to go together. It's going to be great. So I called a blacksmith downtown and called a blacksmith. Um, like called you a blacksmith. Do. Like, you do. like you do. Yep. I called a blacksmith, and it's funny because she was like, "Well, I've never gotten a request like this." And I was like, "Well, come on." And so she set up uh, in front of our church, and one Sunday morning, um, I got up to give the sermon, and then as they were walking out. Uh, she'd fired up or whatever it is. She fires up and she started beating. So we've got two guns and she started beating these guns and she made uh, these garden tools. And it was just such a wow. surreal experience. But that landed, coincidentally enough, uh, I planned this thing out about three or four months. It landed at the same time the NRA and Trump was in town for that weekend. And so it kind of created this, oh, I see. I see what you guys You're did here. You're trying to give yeah. the finger to these yeah, 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 guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, uh, so there was like, that's like step two, you know. Um, and then it got super political, as I think a lot of churches have really yeah. wrestled with that lately. Uh, as a pastor, I'd say um, that the, the two most deadly, dangerous ideas that I can discuss is uh, mammon in <laughs> uh, Mars. You know what I mean? Yep, uh, yep. I, I would say um, nationalism. Uh, like, like you lose your job pretty fast when you start talking about things like that. And so that's been my experience. And then uh, we also uh, brought a, one of my friends uh, is a Muslim. We brought him in uh, during a Christmas series uh, just to talk about Islamophobia. And uh, that, yet again, was a, was a, you know, that was just a boundary. That was a bit too much for folks. Mm. And um, so I just say, let's say over the process, uh, you know, we uh, we started seeing some folks walk away, and yet again, presented with the same question. As it started walking away, our entire team had to change our metrics. Well, how do we measure? Mm-hmm. Because we were yeah, all taught, we were all taught and raised that success and or God's hand is bigger, 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 more people, better, larger buildings, more services. Up into the right, up into the right, up always. Exactly. The right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's yeah. exactly what was happening. So our entire team had to take a step back going, what's our metrics? Uh, how, do, how are we going to do this? Because right. that isn't working. And we all knew we didn't want to play that game anyways. We're like, that's a game we don't want to be involved in. And so we did. We started shifting some of our metrics and figuring out how we're going to measure. And there's little things like I'd write on the whiteboard. Uh, success for us is not how many we baptize on a Sunday, but how well our people love our enemies on Monday. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a good success. Like, let's figure out how we're going to gauge success here. And so we were after depth, not, not, uh, not breadth. And so we kind of came to a place where we were like, <clears throat> would we rather have 15 people moving from that church into my living room all in? Wow. Or would we rather have 1,000 spectators who are just there on Sunday to visit and kind of give a head nod? And, you know, but this is real life, by the way. It's like we have staff yep. with families. Right. And money's yep. on the line. And, yeah, this, is, this was very serious. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's, uh, that's helpful. Stephen, go ahead. You know, I, how, so then how do you... This, this seems to me kind of the difficulty with, um, with communities. I mean, like, like you said, everything is evolving and changing. And so everything is sort of simultaneously, simultaneously in the process of, of dying, but also kind of becoming something else, becoming whatever it's going to become. And, and, it, and it seems like church is at least how it's you know, normally done you know, the building and the, and the band and the budget and the lasers and the fog machines and the, you know, like that, that works. That's great when you've got 800 people, you know, a, a thousand people and, you know, you can bring in some, some tight pants youth pastor to, to, to crank it with, you know, 250 more That's on, on a, on a weekend. But, you know, what do you, how do you, how do you create a community that has a coherent enough sense of identity to, to like actually be something in the world, but also is generous enough with, an, with its identity to, uh, to not beat people up with it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things are coming to my mind. One is uh, one of the things that we struggled with, wrestled with, I had to seek some outside wisdom about the pace at which we were moving um, because I found something interesting seemed like when I would press the gas uh, fast at certain moments, it became too much for lots of people. But when I pulled off a little bit, uh, I realized, oh, okay, I could, I could actually see it. Series that were too much for some people. And I began to understand a little bit about how growth works. Uh, it is very slow. Um, and that doesn't, that, that doesn't fit us very well in our culture because, right. you know, we have everything, uh, we're tech savvy. So it's like you hit a button, uh, you cut on a light switch. It's like, we want everything instantly. Um, and I had to take a couple steps back, uh, from that. And, uh, I go see this, uh, spiritual director. Um, she's, she's pretty amazing. I remember one day going to see her and, I was experiencing a lot of frustration and uh, just my own leadership and what was happening there. Am I moving too fast? Uh, because I was moving at a rate and at a pace that the group of people with me weren't moving at and wrestling with that. Like, how much do I share? How much do I not share? How much do I show them? How much do I not? Um, that was a big challenge. That's actually where Doug King presence and spiral dynamics came in huge for me because once mm. I began to have a map uh, to show me, Oh, there's stages of consciousness, and this is a traditional stage of consciousness, and this is modernity, and this is postmodernity, and all that. It helps so much for me as a leader to navigate people that are at different stages and to understand that 
I want them to be the healthiest version of whoever they are. And so that took a lot of the pressure off. And I went to see my spiritual advisor one day and I just, I thought it would be cool. She handed me, uh, she handed me a little book and she said, I want you to go out in the woods and just read this. And I was like, oh God, what has she got? <laughs> and so I start reading this. It's, just, it's real short, but just listen to what I read. Uh, this is from uh, a spiritual director. I see a Jesuit uh, and she handed me this and I love this. She said, I remember this, this was a huge moment for me as a pastor. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. Hmm. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stage of instability and that it might take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually, so let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that His hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Oh, man. man, guys. What, what book is that? Yeah, what is that? I'll have, I'll have to find out. <laughs> like, I have I, the book. I wrote it. I have the book somewhere. Wow. Uh, but wow. I... That's good stuff. I remember being out in the woods as a pastor going, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is going to take This is gonna take some time. And, yeah. uh, and, and there may only be a hundred, not a thousand. Are you going to be okay with that? And we as a team had to make our minds up like, yeah, we're not going to define success by how many are coming. Uh, we're going at their depth here. And so, hmm. uh, yeah. That's good. Well, Cody, this has been this has been awesome. There's uh, We so appreciate you diving in. I'm sure our listeners are grateful as well, and hopefully we're able to take, take some things from that. And there's about 100 more things we can go into. And what I love is we're not just rear view here. Like we're actually, like you're actually living this, doing this. We're all leave, living, breathing, figuring this out as we go. And it's not like, man, so glad to have you on the podcast now that you finally arrived. It's like there's this sense of, we're still on the journey. And I think you mm-hmm. and I have even had some you know, brief conversations around there are just times it's just, it's tough. Like it's just challenging. It's challenging to be in, in through the journey as an individual within the church context, you know, but what we really appreciate about you and what I want to say is I, I so appreciate you being willing again to step into some of the tension, the mystery and the unknown, not only personally, but like with also a group of people that you're shepherding mm. and that you that you care for mm. um and of course we we you know would love to have you on again in the future to talk into maybe some more specific subject matter but w- one thing we we learned from nate gilmore in our last episode was just uh something he does on the christian humanist podcast is giving his his uh his guest the last word so want to give you the last word but in in particular um, just for our, for our listeners, for those who might be maybe in the depths of, of some of this, or maybe yep. even the early stages, others who are further along. I mean, just an, anything you'd you'd speak to them and and on that journey, and um, happy to kind of let you have the final say here tonight. Yeah, uh, there's a pattern that I at least it's what I'm experiencing right now, and now even looking in hindsight, I I, I resonate with it so much because I've seen it in my past, but. Um, it's, I see the archetypal pattern of Christ so much, uh, in the universe now. And then even in my own life. 
and it's that pattern of death and resurrection, and you just see it over and over again, right? Seas, uh, seasons, uh, cells, on and on the list goes. But I have experienced that. You talk about being a leader of a church that numerically uh, drops like it did. Uh, lots of people would call that a failure. And mm-hmm. uh, I had I had to go through a process of dying, like like metaphorically dying to that game the church plays. And what I what I found was death, the invitation to die. Jesus said this. He said, take up your cross. Like he took up his. He's like, take up yours. The invitation to die is an invitation to be born again. And that, to me, that's the beauty of the whole thing, is we go through this death, we come out the other side, uh, a person who's been reborn or resurrected. Um, that's the Jonah story. I'm teaching through Jonah right now in our church. I just finished yeah. him being swallowed by the well. <laughs> uh, he gets swallowed by big fish, technically speaking, for all you scholars. Uh, he gets big swallowed. Yeah, it is. It's a huge controversy. <laughs> he gets swallowed. And what's interesting is uh, the scripture says that uh, this fish vomits him out on the shore. It is a beautiful, messy image of a rebirth. Mm. And actually, in the Hebrew, just a little note, mm. I know we got to close, but in the Hebrew, uh, the verse, uh, chapter 1, I believe it's verse 17, where it talks about the fish that swallows him. Um, the Hebrew is masculine, and then when Jonah's inside the fish, it turns to feminine, and then it switches back to masculine. Mm. And it's like, it's like that writer is playing with us just a little bit, going, yeah, uh, it moves from masculine to feminine to masculine because this fish is pregnant with Jonah. And it's just a beautiful image of rebirth, huh. which is actually why Jesus huh. probably came along and they said, you want a sign? Yeah, it's a sign of Jonah. What he's saying is, that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You die and you're reborn. And we can theoretically talk about this on a podcast. I'm telling you, uh, it's life conditions. You could have told me this 10 years ago, and I've been like, that sounds awful, death and rebirth. Wow. Um, but you all eventually, we all eventually come to it. And we all experience our own deaths to some degree. Uh, failure, loss, heartache, pain, suffering, um, the death of someone we love. Uh, and when you when you walk through that death, um, you wake up the next day, you come out the other side, and you're mm. like, "Yep, reborn, reborn," and you hold things a lot a lot more loose. Wow. So yeah, that's wow. it. That's that's kind of what's been brewing around in my head right now. Yeah. That's great. So that's great, Stephen. Anything to add? Thoughts? Oh, Cody, thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation, man. This is absolutely. Awesome. Uh, thank you guys again for what you do. Seriously, so yeah. grateful. And uh, just keep keep moving, keep moving Atlanta forward. Uh, I love that we're all in this area. Yeah. Um, and just for those that are in the South, there are people all the time. It's like nobody's doing these things in the South. I'm like, yeah, we're here. There's lots yes. of us. You may not know about us because I'm in Mableton. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. it's like, yeah, we're here. Right. Uh, and there are people waking up all over the city, mm. which is actually what's really exciting to me. There's like a waking up all over. If you knew the emails I got from pastors. That are like coming man, out of the woodwork. Oh yeah, it's I, yeah, it's exciting. I really do think we're on to something here. I, like I, this, this, uh, 
there's things bubbling around here in, in well, our area. If you're interested in listening, uh, certainly check out, certainly check out Vidings Lake um, and the church, you know, show up. I'm sure Cody would talk to you probably for a, for a fee. Um, and, and, and definitely check out some of the sermons and the guests they've had, but also Atlanta becoming for sure, which is a unique thing. Um, you've talked about a bit without getting all into it. We can leave a little mystery out there. And I think it's literally Atlanta becoming.com. If I remember correctly, yep. um, people can check it out. Some gathering coming up in August, if I'm not mistaken, Yeah, we're going to do one a month. So, uh, starts in August, uh, and we'll, yeah, roll once a month. Love it. Well, maybe we can talk about that next time after a couple are under the belt and, uh, absolutely see what's becoming. Well, uh, Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate it. And uh, Cody, thanks again for the time. We'll, we'll see you guys on the next one.